0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey, Better Nation. Welcome to a brand new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. We'll be discussing suicide prevention and soul exhaustion. My guest today is Sarah Gare. She is a suicide loss survivor and a master's level clinician with 24 years experience in the field of mental health care. Now, September is also National Suicide Prevention Month, and I promise this episode is not gloom and doom. Surprisingly, it is actually about hope. Now, questions this episode will answer. Number one, why suicide prevention matters? Number two, what are the most important things we can do to show up for someone in our life that we are worried about? Number three, what is soul exhaustion and why it matters? Now, there is something in this episode for you. Don't let that it's about suicide scare you off. You don't have to be someone dealing with suicide to learn something in this episode. The last few years have been so hard for so many that it's critical and important to have conversations about surviving and supporting each other when the struggle gets really hard. And you know, for some, well, a lot of, pretty much everybody, the struggle has been real lately. So as I said before, stay tuned. There's something for you, whether you felt stressed and overwhelmed, you know someone that's stressed or overwhelmed, someone you work with are stressed or overwhelmed, your family members are stressed or overwhelmed, there is something for you. So stay tuned. Let's go ahead and get to the episode. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, y'all. Hi, Better Nation. This is Dr. Erica, and welcome to a brand new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. And I'm extremely excited. I know I use the word excited a lot, but sometimes it's just the right word about the conversation that we are going to be having today. You know, I always get a little extra pumped when I get to have mental health conversations, but you know, If I had to say what my ministry is, it's making mental health not sound so dry, gloom, and doom. So you're going to love this conversation that we're going to have today. Now, as I remind you, especially because our topic today is you know if you are my patient. You know you have seen me and you have paid me. This is not how I provide medical care. So if you're listening, this is just educational. You know I'm not your doctor. Now, You know how to find me if you want me to be your doctor. But you know when you listen to the podcast, I'm not your doctor. So just getting that totally clear off the top. But you know what? I'm in a rambling mood, and I'm going to be self-aware to catch myself from the rambling. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, my guest today, now I need you all to throw some positive vibes and some prayers up that I say her name right. It looks so cool on paper. It's Sarah Gare. And you're going to be really excited to hear about her. Now, you know, since around season two, I discussed that reading full bios is not my ministry, even though I did get a near perfect score on the ACT. So I read very well. But you don't want to hear me read her bio because no one's going to be able to tell you about Sarah like Sarah. I'm going to say one quick thing just because, oh my gosh, her intro is super cool. So I have to at least say that part. So Sarah is a suicide loss survivor and a master's level clinician with 24 years, yes, 24 years of experience in the field of mental health care. Now, after that, I'm going to let her take it away. Can you tell the people about yourself?
2: I can. How you can do better than me? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I really, I really appreciate having the opportunity to get out to your audience. And yes, I've been in the field a long time. I'm try- I, I, I hope I don't look like I've been in the field as long as I've been in it. <laughs> no, um, you don't. Which I'm trying really hard not to look old, but I've, I've been, I've been in this work for a really long time. I am trained as a mental health clinician, although I have not worked in that capacity in quite some time. Um, but I have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And I have worked um, in several different areas. I have been on crisis teams, inner city mental health clinics, working at substance use treatment facilities, after incarceration support service programs. Um, But for the last several years, I have focused the majority of my um, heart and soul in both suicide prevention and trauma response, which is not the same as trauma treatment, Um, It's very specifically responding to people in the immediate aftermath of traumatic events. That's all the professional stuff. But I like to think that the most important thing for anyone to know about me is that I do identify as somebody with lived experience. I am a suicide loss survivor. So for me, I'm not talking about this sort of thing that's five miles away from the essence of my life. I'm talking about something that every day I hold incredibly close um, in the work that I do.
1: Well, I am 100% here for all of that. And I had to, I have to say something about this. I saw in your bio that you were in Holyoke. I've actually worked in Holyoke before.
2: Ah, yes, I was. I worked, um, I worked in Holyoke as a young person, which was actually, I love, I, I, I love Holyoke, but I worked there as a young person doing therapeutic outreach with youth. And then most recently I was, um, a contractor consultant helping to build long-term recovery for the Soldiers Home in Holyoke. Oh, wow. Because the
1: interesting thing is, if I had to say, I'm from St. Louis, so I'm about to say something that some of y'all are going to think is sacrilege. Oh my gosh, the best Panera I've been to is there's so a Panera in Holyoke.
2: Oh, that's funny.
1: And it brings me, that particular Panera brings me so much joy. I haven't been in Holyoke a while. i um, if you're new to this, you may not know that I've had a very long career as a traveling psychiatrist also. So, so I go to lots of places. Some of them, some of them are places people have heard of, some of them are places people have not heard of. But it, it gives me a, a really interesting view of the world of mental health, but also being in a lot of a lot of different communities. And I know we're gonna have just so much to talk about, but I know one of the ways people have been Dealing with stress, and I know this is one of the things I end up doing that I'm trying to do better about. So I am saying I've worked on doing better because I know a lot of times, and we're going to talk about something related to this later, but I'm not going to spoil it. I try to do good about not making spoilers, is that one of the things I do when I'm tired is I binge watch or watch something super random.
2: What are you watching these days? So I just finished, um, I actually do the same thing and uh, I just, and I try to have it not be things that are really heavy. Cause mm-hmm. um, I learned a long time ago that like my job can be heavy enough. The world around us is heavy enough that sometimes I just want to watch something sort of light. Um, so I just finished season five of Virgin River. Uh, oh, is it good? It keeps popping up on my feed and I haven't watched it yet. I mean, look, it's, it's very sappy. Right. Um, but it's like this small town in British Columbia and it's, it's the scenery is stunning. I tend to be drawn to shows that have amazing scenery. Um, and the other show that I do have to recommend again, probably a little bit corny, you know, I mean, there's always bad things happening in TV shows cause they're TV shows, yeah. but but it's minimal um, is a show called Heartland, which oh. was also um, filmed in Canada and it's all about horses And I'm a horse person and that show got me through losing my dad to cancer. So that was like, I watched one or two episodes every night and it got me through that six, seven month period. So, uh, those are my two, my two sort of go-to. Well, sending big hugs
1: about the loss of your dad. I, I can't even imagine. I'm fortunate. I can't believe I've made it to the age I have made it to and still have both of my parents. So
2: it's a, it's a blessing. Definitely a
1: blessing. And I will, I'll definitely check out Virgin River because I do do the sappy stuff because I did do sweet magnolias. And yep. I'm good for anything with a small town. So I'm that person that my big scenic movies are when it's Christmas time and I'm watching all the Christmas movies. Yeah. And they always end up like – I love the ones in small town. Well, shoot, almost all of them are in small town. Even if they go to a big town, that person leaves. They're they're in New York. Then they end up in a small town. Yes. I love scenery and I love
2: super sappy stuff. Yeah. Well, now I have to go to Canada. I have, I've been to Montreal, but I haven't like really, but after watching both of these shows, I'm like, I have to go and just be a tourist in Canada.
1: You should. Cause I have a Canadian bucket list thing. I want to do that train that goes all the way across Canada mm. and just sit and look at the scenery and contemplate my life. <laughs> And take random videos and somehow learn how to make Instagram reels, which I haven't learned how to do.
2: I actually talk about that in one of the things that maybe we'll get a chance to talk more about, which is um, I somewhat push away from the idea of self-care, and I prefer the idea of soul care. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Uh, And soul care is really getting down to those deeper parts of ourselves. And so one area that I talk a little bit about is taking epic journeys, Mm -hmm. You know, because for me and and obviously, you know, not everybody has the financial ability, but when you do and also they don't always have to be to another country or to another, you know, um, sometimes it's an epic journey right in your own state. Um, But just the power of those those experiences.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned epic journeys in your own state because I will testify I travel all the time for work. I'm that person that during the pandemic when traveling stopped. I celebrated like when all my friends were like, oh, my God, I miss traveling. I was like, I'm so happy to be in my house. Um, I'm so happy to be in my house that I accidentally let my passport expire. Oh, (laughs) I think subconsciously I really didn't want to go anywhere. So. uh, So, yes, I'm I'm a big fan of the little things. Yeah. And ironically, one of my favorite vacations currently is to have you ever heard of those little tiny cabins? Yes. The way cabins, I am not paid. I'm not getting a sponsorship, but I love them. <laughs> I probably just said this episode to them. They're like the coolest thing ever, and it's like one of the few things I've ever done that looks exactly like the pictures in the videos.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's just so peaceful. I just need to learn how to use a grill because I feel like I would take it to the next level if I actually lit the grill in the fire pit. Yeah. At, exactly. at
2: I mean, I think that – so many of us after the last few years, um, everything that we've all lived through, right. That the less complicated and the more simple is what we all are in need of.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm, I'm here for simple. Uh, you know, my big adventure lately is I decided I wanted to put white accessories back into my bathroom. I decided I wanted to change the colors up in some of the areas of my house. So now I'm on a mission to try to find chartreuse pillows or pillow shams, <laughs> which I'm a little upset with real simple for doing an entire cover that was green with chartreuses and Kelly green. And then it decided I wanted that I wanted green, but I wanted a specific shade of green, which apparently is a hard shade to find, especially because we're transitioning into fall. Oh, so um we'll see how successful I am, but um rather than talk all about myself and my design awareness <laughs> um, is let's go ahead and get to it because now you know that Sarah and I both like to recharge with some simple things and some things that aren't so dramatic because I'm the same way. Some of this stuff is so dramatic. I'm like, I feel like I should be billing my um, hourly rate to watch it and nobody's gonna pay me my hourly rate to watch TV. Right, right. But I, I don't feel want to like- be
2: upset. I don't want to watch TV to be upset.
1: Well I I'm I, I do not want to sit there and the whole time be thinking about where's your therapist? Why aren't you doing a therapist? Right. How many bad decisions can you make? I was literally watching a show the other day and that guy, I mean I'm like, if this this name of shows you to be bad decisions. <laughs> I'm like, you haven't made one good decision yet, and I'm on episode seven. Can you make one good decision?
2: All right, so fair warning, there are characters in Virgin River, you will think, but not most of them, but there oh. are a couple. that, that there's, you will always,
1: there's always somebody. There's always somebody. Always. There always has to be somebody making bad decisions. I, I don't think it's a show without some bad decisions. Right. Um. So one of the things that really intrigued me is, Just a lot of your work in suicide prevention and your experience, especially given um, we are recording in September, which is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Yep. And I remember there was a time when people would talk about it and they'd say, oh, you know, I don't know anybody or this doesn't happen to us. And um, if you all didn't look at the cover graphic of my podcast, I'm black. Um, then, you know, black folks would be like, oh, we don't, this doesn't happen to us. And I remember there was this book, um, that Alvin Poussaint wrote with, um, I think her name is, I want to think Amy Baker, but I'll put it in the liner notes because I'm, I know her first name is Amy, um, about suicide in the black community because there'd been so many myths that it didn't happen. So this isn't the easiest work or the easiest cause to be involved in.
2: Why are you so passionate about it? I mean, plain and simple, because I'm a suicide loss survivor, because I know firsthand all of the complications, the complexities, and the devastation that suicide creates, and and not just for the loss survivors, right? A person has to be in terrible despair to feel as though life's not worth living anymore. And so, you know, I really, I carry the people that I've lost with me. And, and unfortunately, because I'm in this work, I, I think- um, and maybe my awareness, but I've, I've lost a lot of people to suicide mm-hmm. and, you know, I carry those people with me in everything that I do, um, and hope to make a difference moving forward. And, and, and I do see, I will tell you in the last, you know, 12 years of doing this really as my primary function, I see changes happening. It's always too slow, always um, but it's exciting. I mean, even this, even being asked to be on podcasts to talk about suicide, this is, this is new. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be new. <laughs> uh, you know, but to th- kind of further answer it, it's also because as as sad and painful as a topic as this is, nobody has immunity there are certain groups who are at higher risk. And this is where people get confused, right? There's certain groups who are at higher risk for suicide death. But interestingly enough, they're not always the same groups who are at the highest risk for suicide attempts. Right? Mm -hmm. And then when we look at it, um, the other thing that you have to, I think you have to consider is that what is suicide could be different from culture to culture, right? I had somebody um, of the African-American black community say to me, you know, look, I think that we're, we're doing things that could kill ourselves all the time, but you guys don't think of it as being suicide. Well, I do. And I said, well, that's really interesting because in general, we don't think of certain high risk behaviors as being suicide. Um, but I think there has to be room for different cultures to have a different understanding of what suicide may look like within their own communities.
1: Well, and it's just so complicated because I remember I went to I went to a funeral um, for someone that I knew that had died by suicide, and I always remember sitting in the church, um, and the preacher got up, and he started, he quoted the passage about uh, though I've walked through the shadow of the valley of death and all this stuff, and I was sitting here like, I'm still not clear. Uh, on even where this preacher in this church sat spiritually with the concept of what happens to your soul after suicide. And I, I think it's, it's such a complicated, it, it's such a complicated issue. And I know one of the things I, I tell people is we do a lot of work to help educate people to assist with suicide prevention with the reminding them that the expectation isn't, my expectation isn't is that the average person that is trying to do something to help with suicide prevention have the same skill set I do as a Harvard trained psychiatrist.
2: Right.
1: That is that is not the expectation and that there are times where there's literally nothing any human being on this earth can do to stop someone. That it, but there's there's another space of people that possibly you change a couple of variables
2: and something could change. There are times, listen, you know and there are people in the suicide prevention field who would slap my wrist for saying this you're right there are times that no matter what we do we're not going to be able to stop it but like i say when i train my first responders about the use of cpr right Mm -hmm. cpr has a very low Mm -hmm. save rate very low it's like five percent and i'll ask them if it's a situation and you're looking at it and you're thinking there's nothing, that CPR is definitely not going to help. I go, do you do it anyway? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, why? And they say, well, because it might work. Right. I go, that's right. So when we think about suicide prevention, I never look at somebody and say, this is it. There's nothing that we can do. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I'm going to, yes, I'm going to be honest with myself and I'm prepared for that it may not be enough or it may be too late. Um, but I'm still going to give it everything I've got because I would rather give it everything I've mm-hmm. got and have it not work than have to live with the possibility that I didn't give it enough and maybe it could have been different. Um, so yes, I agree with you, but we still we still want to okay. try. The other thing that's really important, I think, Dr. Erica, is that you know you're right. Me and you, um, you probably even more than me, but we're we're experts in mental health. We're experts in suicide prevention, right? But the truth is that in most of these incidents, instances, what people need the most isn't me and you, Mm -hmm. what they need the most is their friends, it's their family, it's their teachers, it's the people that they care about who are already there in their life, who can make in some ways, in some instances, the biggest difference for people. Um, And so that's why when I go out and I do QPR trainings and I'm like, look, you matter. You being able to understand and know what it could look like if somebody's in trouble and you knowing how to sit with them and how to talk to them without judgment, that's as important as anything I know how to do because 50% of people who die by suicide will never be in front of me and you.
1: Well, and you bring up a huge point because I think the huge thing is, is you don't need a degree to have care and empathy. You, you don't. And, and that's what makes such a big difference. I talk to people all the time and it's that loneliness, that isolation, that feeling like the world is better without them or nobody would miss them. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, you never know what is that interaction that'll make a difference. And on my end, a lot of times when it's, when it's the perspective of every once in a while you get someone that there's, you know, you, you could have done all the things short of locking them in a room and locking their hands down you couldn't and that's really more on the side of not what to do on the front end it's about that guilt on the back end when people start thinking about if i did this if i did this i didn't see this i didn't do that and there's a handful of people that no matter what you saw and what people did that you know you could put them in a hospital it's just it's just that bad you know like the person that has the worst heart attack on the planet that someone can do all of the
2: interventions
1: in. Yeah. And and we know that
2: the hospital is often not the right answer for people, right? We know that getting discharged from a psychiatric facility is a high risk time for suicide. We also, you know, know that many people who have been into forced hospitalization situations end up developing post-traumatic stress disorder from that experience. So, you know, the days of Like, we have to do everything that we can do to keep this person from killing themselves at all costs. I think the field is moving away from that and saying, look, yes, there are moments where we don't have a choice but to take those steps. Um, But up until the point that it reaches that moment, we're going to try really hard not to take people's civil rights away from them.
1: Well, it's it's a very serious decision that I know personally. I've worked all levels of care, and I still intermittently sit in a hospital. I don't know. If you would ask me when I was training, if I'd do inpatient work, I'd tell you there was no way on this planet. If you ask me what do I do I do for long spans of time, it's actually <laughs> inpatient work. But I, I, I think the thing is, is I do miss the old days as far as some of the treatments that we provided in inpatient hospitals. Because I think the complicated nature of it, if you're not in one of the Cushy places where you pay large amounts of cash. That's right. Uh, That your treatment team, you know, before everyone would do individual therapy. Now the majority of places I go, they don't have traditional individual therapy and group therapy isn't necessarily stratified by problems, challenges, or abilities. So it ends up being, it truly is crisis stabilization at its highest form versus a situation where people are getting more individualized care, um, and they can be they can be difficult places. And I, I think one of the things we have to do is is be honest about what they are. That's right. And then do our best to make them as positive an experience as we can have when someone needs to. Depending on where you are, you might need to ask permission to go pee. Me too. Uh, There are some places where, yes, you can go in your own room and your bathroom is unlocked. And there are some I've worked where, you know, you're you're not going to just go in the bathroom. You're not going to just spontaneously decide you want to take a shower. You know, you don't have a set of keys. I know I'm like, I'm not happy when I don't have a set of keys. And I work there, so I know my patients aren't happy and they can't get in and out of the doors.
2: Yeah. Now, I think you know. Sometimes I wonder if the philosophy is let's make them as miserable a place as possible so people won't want to come back here. I, I I almost feel like there's this you know underlying belief that if if we make it everything you just described, which I agree with you, we we were better about that in the old days. And 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 if you have lots of money, you still can get that. But for the average person who's going to end up in a psychiatric you know um, facility they there are places you don't want to be and they are places people don't want to go back to I, I will say, um, I think at least where I am and I, I hope this is true everywhere, the partial hospitalization programs, um, seem to be doing a better job with some of that. And we have lots of respite programs, which are still, you know, you're, you're living there, um, temporarily, but those tend to be a much more pleasant space than the hospitals do.
1: Well, you know, in rest, in, That's the kind of the interesting thing about Massachusetts is that I feel like Massachusetts has a larger variety of levels of care than most of the places I've worked, Mm -hmm. um, which which provides places where people can get treatment without um, in lower restrictive settings.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And all that means to all you out there that don't do this kind of work is the highest level of care places where everything is locked down and you can't go anywhere. And they go down from there from, do you sleep there, but can you walk around and do things? Do you not sleep there and you go, you know, and I'd say that from what I've seen, I don't even think it's trying to make people so miserable they don't want to come back. I think it's the models of, you know, between the combination of reimbursement and trying to make money, um, given that the reimbursements can be all over the place. 'Cause I've done inpatient work as a private practice hospitalist where I got reimbursed from insurance zero dollars or four dollars and twelve dollars for entire hospital stays. Yeah. Yep. So so I think the thing is is a lot of the services have been pared down so that the service becomes more affordable or able to cover. And I I think there's room to be more creative and innovative about how to provide some additional companion services that are provided sometimes in residential or these higher end programs and even some of the partial programs. It just doesn't always exist in inpatient hospitalizations. You know, I think I do my best to try to make a caring environment and to encourage the staff with to be caring environments. And I know we've kind of gone off the deep end. I've been places that You know, I've worked places that I don't feel like the patients thought it was terrible and people were treated kindly. Um, I think the thing is we just all know that there's definitely room for improvement for the care people need at that level and then the ability to access step-down programs. And that basically means something different than going from you're sick enough to be in the hospital and then someone just sends you home and you go see someone in a clinic in a week or something. And that's what you got. Um, versus stepping down to, like she mentioned, a part. There are two lower levels of care. There's partial hospitalization programs and intensive outpatient programs that are are ones where people typically can go. You have some similar programming, usually a little bit more individual and things like that. But you go home, and partial usually is more hours a day than IOP. Um, to me, is the easiest way to look at it. But you know, when people are able to step down to those kinds of programs with more support. I think all of us feel better, including them, than just, you went through this intensive experience and then you go home and it's like, what do I do now?
2: Yeah. And listen, I hope to see the model of the respite programs become like a national so that it's not just available here in Massachusetts, but that people anywhere can access those. Cause that's kind of the in-between place of the IOP and partial hospitalization programs and the hospital. Um, and You know, you wear your own clothes, you um, can come and go. And it is voluntary. So if somebody wants to leave, they can leave, right? It's not forced Mm -hmm. And we try, you know, that's sort of the place we try to have people go, um, unless, you know, they really have to be in a hospital. Better with Dr. Erica.
1: It's time for What's Up with Dr. Erica. I recently went to a surprise party for a friend's mom. Her mom turned 85 and she was so surprised. I wish you could have been there to see just the look of confusion and happiness on her face when she saw so many people gathered to celebrate her life. It turned into a full girls weekend with quality time and just was a reminder of how important it is to be present, to be present for your loved ones and to also be intentional about connecting with your people it's so busy and there's always something going on life can be stressful with adulting that it's very easy to get caught up with life and plan to see people or talk to them and then you look up it's been a year or so and then with social media sometimes it feels like you've actually had connection so I want to just encourage you to take the time to be intentional about talking to and spending time with your friends and family. It's something that will make you feel better. It will make them feel better. And there's nothing like being present. And the one thing we have learned over the last few years is you just don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring. So take advantage of these opportunities to connect and spend quality time. Okay, back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. One of the things I I love about Massachusetts, this is not a commercial for Massachusetts, I'm licensed in nine states. I work lots of places is they have all these other levels so that people aren't just kind of left to try to figure it out. Because I feel like that's, that's one of the hardest things about these systems is it's not logical. The mental health system isn't logical. How it works is not logical. It's one of the reasons why I encourage people You know, 988 is great. I think 988 is getting a bit better now that communities are starting to have some of the resources so that it's actually getting routed to people that are helpful in the community. Because one of the things that's that's helpful and why a lot of times I will also recommend local crisis lines is... I've had a lot of people that feel like they were thinking about harming themselves and then they talked to someone on one of the various suicide lines because y'all I work a lot of places so you know there's that the veterans have a line SAMHSA actually has a line then there's what was the suicide and prevention lifeline there are all these crisis lines and then a lot of times they're local ones. But the thing I like about local ones, and they're they're doing better about starting to route 988 to local sources, is that what is in your community can be very different than what's in another community. So sometimes you just need to know, well, who do I need to call or where do I need to go next if I need something more than just talking to someone on the phone? And a lot of times local crisis lines will know where... Where the hospitals are. If you don't need a hospital, maybe something like a crisis stabilization unit or a partial or an IOP that may potentially do their own intake, so you don't have to go into the ER. If you have to go to the ER, what it was the ER that's going to be able to get you where you need to go fastest, or what's a hospital near you that has their own admissions unit, so you can go directly there versus going to the ER. Or how to what, what clinic in the area may not have such a long wait list you can actually get in. So one of the things I love about some of the local units, and the great thing is 988 is starting to get routed locally a little bit more, is that then you're able to get that next set of resources.
2: That's right.
1: And also have people assist with safety planning. Because that's one of the huge things, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of the work you're doing is so important is as people become more aware with suicide prevention and just understanding some basic mental health and use of empathy and increasing emotional intelligence then if something happens and someone in someone's life needs some support that they are better equipped to participate in safety planning
2: yep yeah i love i love safety planning i actually um this the SAMHSA website is a little bit backlogged right now but you can actually go on the SAMHSA website and order Safety planning pads, which I I just feel like we should get accustomed to doing safety plans with everybody, right? And maybe we should come up with a better name than safety plans because, to me, it's just you know even even if you're just having a really horrible day, right? To think about what are a couple of things that I can do by myself that are going to make my mood better, like you know watch Virgin River or. Go take a hot bath or, you know, fantasize about my epic journey, right? Like, what are some things I can do all by myself? It does not require uh, a a crisis situation. Um, And then to be reminded, like, who are the people I can talk to just to get my mind off of things? Yeah. But also, we should all think about, you know, in fact, I reached out to my, some of my suicide prevention friends who I have made, made the most amazing lifetime friends through this work, you know, but I try to be really humble and, You know, I recognize that being in this line of work, we're not immune either. Nobody is immune to suicide. And for those of us who do this and we're exposed to it all the time, there's no research um, out there about mental health counselors and suicide or social workers. The only research out there um, that I'm aware of was specifically around psychiatrists. But you know, to suggest that we couldn't be at risk too is ridiculous. Um, So I reached out to some of my friends and I said, I think that we should have um, a buddy system Mm -hmm. where we know that we have somebody that we can call and, you know, whatever it is that we can talk to them without judgment and discrimination. Um, And so I think that we should all just know who that would be.
1: And that's huge. And I I always think of some of this is like these great tools and empathy and, and, and just being aware. And, you know, I talk about it when it comes to a variety of different things of, you know, if you have a rough day, you're stressed out. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling, you know, you have imposter syndrome and you feel like I'm just not good enough is you need a handful of people that are going to, you can call, they're going to tell you you're great and they love you and be your cheerleader
2: Yep.
1: that, you know, I feel like, it's that next level of phone a friend. You need that list of folks that you know you can call and it does not gonna take five text message to say, please answer my call when I call you." Cause we all know those people that, you know, you have to say it's an emergency for them to actually answer the phone. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you need some folks on your list that will actually answer the phone without you having to go through a million hoops that's for right. it. But, you know, I, I think that's something huge. But I, I wanna ask you a question Or what are some of the most important things we can do to show up for
2: someone in our life that we're worried about? You know, one of the things that I, that I say to people is like, we we need to be showing up long before it's a crisis situation. Right. And so I think it's human nature probably, but so right now, I bet most of us can think of at least one or two or ten people that we know who are going through a hard time. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's caregiving for a loved one. Right? And we tend to have this idea that, like, oh, you know, we should give them space. We shouldn't, you know, pry into their own lives. Um, and we don't realize that oftentimes that really makes people feel alone. And so I I say to people like, look don't, don't wait for what you think is a crisis because sometimes like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, sometimes that's too late. So as soon as you have reason to think like that person's really having it hard, show up. And then I'm actually developing an upstream suicide prevention training that I'm very Mm -hmm. excited about. I am a master trainer for question, persuade and refer. I love QPR. I think it's a really important training. It's not flawless. Nothing is, um, but i have always had this sort of feeling in my gut like this is great but it's specifically for when we're in a crisis and so i'm working on developing a training i'm very excited about it it's called the listen training okay uh, and the the it is an acronym i know it's too long dr erica i know but each one of those letters stands for something i'm, waiting. Uh, I'm only going to give away two of them okay the l is the most important directive Um, And that's the listen. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: No matter what, listen. Because as human beings, we, you know, and and some of us were broken of it as therapists, but I've actually met therapists who actually, who I think got worse with this. We tend to be thinking so much about how we're going to respond or trying to solve the problem for the other person. Most of us are not very good listeners. And so often when people are going through a hard time, they don't want you to fix it for them. Right, it's like insulting that you think that you can just swoop in and fix their problems. What they really need is somebody who just listens. And then the N, which I think is extremely important, um, actually stands for notice, which is notice your own reactions. Mm -hmm. Right, because when we when we mess this up, it's usually because we're scared, or we're frustrated, or we're tired, Um, and that's when we tend to do things that not only don't help but can even be harmful like yell at the person or think we can shake them out of it um and so i'm working to to start rolling out pilots with this training and i'm really excited about it um so my advice to people is the first and foremost is show up and and just listen
1: i'm here for all of that and i i love the listen part cuz i have to laugh i had to t- have a talk with one of my friends because it was one of those things where I'm like, you're interrupting me trying to anticipate what I'm going to say. And it ain't even right. Just let me say what I'm going to say first. <laughs> but you anticipating it and interjecting lets me know you weren't actually listening <laughs> to, to what I was saying. And I, I love the the part of listen to your reaction because it's it's so often when dealing with people that are hurting, especially because we live in a society where most people haven't gotten their own therapy. I said it. I have a therapist so I can say this. So I'm not being hypocritical. <laughs> Is that then it's like people have their own emotional reactions and then it turns into subconsciously into it becomes about them instead of who they're listening to right you know so i i think this is one of the reasons i i love what you're talking about and i tell people that i f- i feel like if i could be like Oprah i'd be like you get a therapist you get a therapist you get a therapist that mental health professionals aren't here specifically just for crises you use them you use them because the w- living and Living in this world, especially as an adult, is a challenge. It was a challenge pre-pandemic. It w- became more of a challenge with the pandemic. And, you know, I don't think they'll ever, I don't know if they'll ever really have good data on all of the all of the mental health ramifications of, of going through this time. And now, you know, there's a little bit more COVID around again. And I don't know if people know what to do about it. But all of that to say is that, You don't need to use all of us when you're in crisis. One of the great things about having us other times is then you can handle your own stuff so that when you're in situations, you're responding to the situation, not what the situation brought up in you because there's some untreated, unresolved issue back there. But also then if things do get tough, you already have an established relationship with someone that you feel comfortable with, that you've already established trust and safety with versus trying to establish that in the
2: middle of a crisis? I totally agree with everything you're saying. I think one of the, you know, in my experience, one of the major barriers is a lot of people think you have to have a mental illness to benefit from therapy. And um, I don't agree with that. I I don't think, I think you could be just going through a really hard time. You maybe you need to sort out, you know, some grief that you have been through. Not everybody, um, you know, who would benefit from, from some sort of counseling has an underlying mental health condition. In fact, I personally, because I'm a very trauma informed person, and that is very much the lens I look at everything through, you know, I personally think that most mental health conditions are being terribly overdiagnosed and that a lot of people are reacting in a really appropriate way to the circumstances going on in their life. Right. Um, and so that's, that's where, you know, and a a good therapist, the right therapist can help you sort that out. Um, But I I think that's a big barrier for people is either A, they say, I don't have a mental illness, or B, they say, I'm afraid if I go there, they're going to tell me I do. And, you know, lots of great therapists are able to see like, yeah, you might have these symptoms and those symptoms might generally look like this thing, but you also have these other things going on that could cause all of that.
1: And sometimes people are just stressed and overwhelmed. My practice, my personal practice is a a high performing professionals and most of them are stressed or overwhelmed or in transitional periods. And a lot of them don't have traditional access one diagnoses. I just think there's so much we could help people with because there's so much trauma reactive behavior and the majority of people with trauma reactive behavior don't have PTSD. That's right, um, and that's impacting how you're reacting. And I'm not just saying that because I just got through listening to What Happened to You by Oprah and Bruce, Doctor Bruce Perry. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, it's true. I mean, working with law enforcement, I I have heard for years now. You know, oh well, I'm not a veteran. Right, And so, well, first of all, you don't have to be a veteran to have PTSD. In fact, I know I'm preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. but the research has shown us that people who've been sexually assaulted have a higher percentage rate of developing PTSD mm-hmm. than combat veterans do. So it's not something that just happens to them, but the truth is the vast majority of impact from trauma that we all experience in our lives isn't, isn't going to be PTSD. Um, and so much of of the things that we see and the behaviors we see from people are a, a trauma response. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Our world's a tough place right now. You know, it's it's why you and I like our our our, our lighthearted shows. Yes, it's why Korean
1: dramas are my jam. Oh. <laughs> Oh yes, I, I will watch a Korean drama in a minute. The problem is there are too many episodes and at some point I actually need to do something other than watch a Korean drama. I have not seen any. Oh, you would love it. If you love Virgin River,
2: you would love it. Oh. The only
1: thing is it's almost like a slippery slope because once you start, it's almost like eating Pringles. You can't stop. Oh, funny. Like you, you, just, you just can't stop with just one. Oh, I guess that was Lay's potato chips. My bad. I'm I'm not getting paid for promotion by any potato chip brand. Mm, no, I am not. I am not. So I feel like we're we've naturally made it here. Can you talk about your passion around soul and soul exhaustion? And what do you consider to be soul exhaustion?
2: I am super excited about this. Um because I have had real concerns about our tendency to pathologize everything and, you know, like you sort of mentioned with the hospitals, insurance companies have pushed us in a place where we have to, you know, put in that code for things. And um, I think sometimes people are suffering because their life is really painful. And, you know, we have this concept of burnout and a lot of people don't realize that burnout is really meant to talk about being work-related but what happens when you're burnt out on life, when, you know, who you are as a human being, you, you don't feel like yourself anymore, right? And so this all came to my mind. I did a TEDx, which folks, if they want to listen to it's it is on my website. It's on YouTube, um, where I talk about the concept of soul exhaustion. But it was born um, really in the context, initially, in my mind of being a suicide loss survivor and just exhaustion on every level every level of who I was as a human being, you know, and in the first year or so after she died, I gained about 70, 60, 70 pounds. Oh, wow. And it was, um, and of course some people would say, well, it was complicated grief and it was this and it was that. And it was like, yes, it's all of those things. Right. Um, but the part of soul exhaustion is what's happening to who I am as a human being. Mm Mm-hmm right? That kind of inner flame, whether it's the part of you that lives on beyond death or not, I have no idea. Um, but I actually started doing some interviews once I really was thinking about this. And so I went to the international, or sorry, the European Symposium for Suicide Prevention in Copenhagen. And I interviewed um, 30 suicide prevention researchers, clinicians, and I asked them what the soul was. First of all, very interesting. Only one of them said, I'm a scientist. There's no such thing as the soul. One person. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Everyone else went right into explaining to me what they thought that the soul was. And every once in a while, people would reference spirituality or spiritual being, but the vast majority of the time, they talked about it as the essence of who you are or the core of who you are. And so I want to separate, right? Because when we say even mental illness, mental illness is about the brain. It's about the thoughts. It's about sometimes the feelings. Um, but I really wanted to parse out sort of the who you are. And what was interesting is I then started sort of testing it out in very small waters. Um, and really, I call, I call it my listening tour because I'm just not that smart, right? I, I can't come up with brilliant things all by myself. I need to learn from other people. And so I started to ask them, well, what does soul exhaustion mean? And universally, they said it's when the essence of who you are is exhausted, right? So people very naturally understood it. So then, of course, I went back and I said, well, what types of things would cause that? Some of them were the things I had already come up with. um, And some were surprising to me. For instance, I had already come up with um, caregiving and anticipatory grief, Mm -hmm. right? Because I walk around the world, I don't know about you, but I'm a helper. It's what I do. But when my father was dying, um, there was a real recognition of sometimes there's nothing I can do. Yeah, right. Like I cannot save everybody. You know, in social work we'd call it shattered assumptions. But 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 it really impacts the 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 essence, the deepest part of yourself. Um, so I had come up with that one. I had come up with um, you know holding resentments towards people because I wanna be a loving and kind and compassionate person. And when I'm allowing anger to rule me, I'm not being who I think I really truly am. And that was something that I learned about myself going through suicide loss. I was mad at everybody except her, interestingly enough. I know for most people, they get really mad at the person who killed themselves. I I never felt mad at her, but I felt very angry at a lot of other people. Um, And the truth is, it ate away at me, right? It, it damaged who I, who I was as a person. So when I talk about soul exhaustion um, to give you a couple examples, I hadn't expected, but I think are super important. Um, one, I hadn't expected the amount of people, predominantly women who said parenting
1: mm-hmm.
2: that you really, you know, that they have really felt as though they lost parts of themselves um, in a parenting role. Um, the other one that came up, which as soon as it came up made total sense, but I hadn't thought of it myself was facing oppression and discrimination Mm -hmm. and how that experience, um, takes away from the essence of who people feel they are. I don't like just naming a problem. I like also thinking about solutions to those problems. Um, so we, we looked at all these things that could cause the soul (laughs) exhaustion and then you know, we looked at what are the things that can help somebody recover. Of course, um, I'm drawn to Viktor Frankl. I love Man's Search for Meaning. I think it's really powerful. So we looked at the, the power of making meaning, right? Whether that's being a peer supporter or um, being a storyteller, right? How do you take these things that have happened to you and make meaning out of it so you can reclaim parts of yourself, So, we had that as a big one. Epic Journeys is another one. Finding forgiveness is another piece. Um, So, it's really thinking about things sort of that are outside of the medical model Mm -hmm. uh, and that people can, uh, in some ways, sometimes they can do on their own, right? Some of it, I think a good therapist is going to help you do and is going to lead you in those directions. But what we know specifically in suicide prevention is most people want to try to fix things themselves first. So that's what prompted us to create, um, we're in the process still of creating the Soul Care, uh, Soul Exhaustion and Soul Care Workbook. Okay. Um, And so I'm really excited about that. It's probably still a year away, but, um, you know, so that people can start thinking about some of these things on their own. Well, that's
1: so exciting because I remember I was, um, I guess it was, I wouldn't say early COVID, like mid-early COVID. Is that funny? You're like, like I think it was, it may have been 2020 or very early 2021. I remember I was talking to my mindset coach because I was tired. Mm-hmm. I was so tired. And I always remember that moment when she talked to me, she's like, your soul is tired. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm I'm glad you're doing this work. Because one of the difficult things is, when you have a wide variety of people around you, you can pull from a huge amount of resources, which is different than if you don't have that same exposure. That's
2: right.
1: Because I, I, I know when I was exhausted, I had my therapist, I had a mindset coach, I had two people doing energy work, including an acupuncturist, I had a chiropractor, I was going to float, I was doing, I was doing all of the things. Right. All of the things, but I, I I love putting some of these resources out there because the thing is, is if you're tired at a soul level, then some of, some of these traditional solutions aren't going to be the full solution, you know, quitting your job and finding a new job may not necessarily fix your soul, you know, going going on a girl's trip to Bali may not totally refuel your soul getting your nails done probably will not totally refuel your soul and I I think it's that soul care is at a level higher than what people traditionally look at as traditional self-care
2: that's exactly right I had somebody in one of my workshops say "Um, if one more person tells me to take a bubble bath and light a candle I'm gonna be scream right and it's and it's true like I think that self-care, like so many other words, it's it's gotten used to the point where it doesn't have much potency anymore. Um, and I don't know that it ever went to the level I'm trying to go to, which is, you know, and it's like that trauma-informed lens, right? The asking the question, what's happening to you? Yeah. But what's happening in here to you, the deepest part of who you are? You know, and I think back at the hard times I've had in my life and how I, even in the moment, I felt like I'm not being me, right? I'm being you know, I mean, I'm a very intense person anyway, Dr. Erica, but I'm being abnormally (laughs) intense, right. Or I'm being, you know, and and it was because the essence of who I am was being completely depleted by everything going on around me, you know, and, and even during the pandemic, because that was when my dad was so sick, you know, I was short tempered. I was irritable. I didn't I saw everything that like was people trying to do a good job, but I just saw it as like, you're just throwing up barriers and making things more complicated. Right. Um, and I just was not myself. And, you know, in hindsight, I see that it's because myself was completely depleted. Right. And yet I kept, you know, and this is the mistake so many of us make. I kept trying to push through and push through and do more and push through. Um, you know, until I finally realized that I just, I cannot keep at that and I have to find somewhere else. And for me, a big part of that journey um, was thinking about what matters the most to me, right? Like so many people, this is my experience anyway, you know, they're so focused on like, oh, I have to make all this money. I have to drive this car. I have to buy that pocketbook. I need these sneakers, right? And we put so much energy into that But going through the process of losing my dad, I realized that when the day comes that I'm laying on my deathbed, I'm not going to be thinking back to those things. I'm going to be thinking back to the time I spent with my family, Mm -hmm. the time I spent with my friends. So now what I try to do, thanks to my dad, is live my life today with the priorities that I think are going to matter then. And it honestly shifted what matters to me.
1: I want to highlight, number one, that you mentioned that that traditional solution of just trying to push through doesn't work. But part of the reason it doesn't work is doing how things were or what was going on is what got you there. So it's not going to necessarily be the solution. So pushing through is only going to deplete you more because there's no reward on the other side that's going to replete you just by achieving or, or getting something. Um, And I also love that you, you brought out the point that, and that's one of the reasons, you know, I have a concept called the better seven, these seven essential things you have to do to be better, do better and live better. And why silence is so critical is you have to periodically check in with yourself and have an open, honest conversation with yourself. Cause this doesn't work if it's not an honest conversation, to really figure out what your priorities are, what you want, what you want your life to look like, and how you want to feel in that season and in that moment. Because life is, life is a developing thing. It's it's, it's like a movie with with more sequels than The Fast and the Furious. But hopefully better written. Because, you know, you get towards it and you're like, eh, you know. Eh. But the, the main thing is that what was your priority or what mattered to you in one season may not be what is going to fuel your soul or be what makes you feel like you are living a good life in the next season. And you have to be open to having those times of reassessment to really check in with yourself around what really matters and then I always love in Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Equation, he talked about how he sat down and thought about what his priorities were. And he swore up and down it was his family. But out of between work and family, he spent almost all of his time on work and just this little tiny bit of time on his family. And I think that's such a powerful statement as far as as you realize or rediscover or clarify what your priorities are as far as the life you want to live and who you want to be is making sure that your actions and how you're spending your time
2: is aligned with that. Absolutely. Listen, somebody, I I, I did not make this up, but I really resonated for me. And it's um, thinking about time as your most valuable currency, right? Because we think about how we're going to spend our money. We think about, you know, how we're going to spend other things. But a lot of people don't very consciously and intentionally think about how they're going to spend their time. Now, for me, I allot myself the two hours, whatever it is I need to just do nothing. Right. And sometimes it's it's pure quiet. Um, One of my favorite things is I love floating like on a raft. Oh, I do go camping. So what I'll do is I'll I'll go down all by myself and I get my raft out. And I just float around the little, we call it a lake, but it's really a pond. And I just, <laughs> I just right? I just lay there and, and I play the game like when we were kids. You remember when you tried to find designs in the clouds? Yes. Right? And, you know, sometimes I will start to reminisce on something that brings me joy. Um, most recently, I found myself crying. And it was the first time that I had really allowed myself to cry since my dog had died. Oh. So like that quiet, that space of quiet, I'm not saying it's always going to be joyful, but I am saying that it's, I I needed to be able to just sit down and cry about it. You know what I mean? And sometimes, um, you know, I think being intentional about how we spend our time, allowing ourselves permission to sit in those feelings um, and also not to, right? I have um, somebody in my life, love them very much. But they're always sitting in the feelings. And I finally said, what's the point? Well, I need to process it. And I'm like, to what extent? Right? Like at, there there is this fine line where it's no longer helping to sit in this. Um, and so just being really intentional about our mindset, about our time, about our, you know, who's the most important to us. I think all of those things are soul care. Better with Dr. Erica.
1: At some point, I guess I have to let Sarah go about the rest of her day so I can't, I can't hold her hostage in here and act like I have her locked on my psych unit and be like, you can't leave because I said so. So we're going to transition into the speed round and then I'm going to get her out of here, even though I want to keep her, but I have to send her back to her life. It happens. So the first question is, what is the best compliment that you've ever received? that I'm brave. Oh, I love it. The next one is what is one piece of advice you'd like to give to your younger self?
2: Most of those people who make you feel badly are not going to matter later in life to you.
1: I drop a mic, but um, I don't want to buy a new one. How about that? or deal with the feedback that it would cause. But that that is an excellent one. I'm here for that. I feel like I need to write all these ones I hear on little cards and put them up places cuz I'm like I'm like these are great. That that is a wonderful one cuz I there's so much energy spent on being concerned about other people's perceptions. And I'm I'm a fan of how you talked about time being important currency is that energy you Even though I do believe in the law of abundance, I'm here for it, totally here for it, is that it does feel like you have a finite level and you don't want to spend it on stuff that doesn't matter. That's right. And the last one, I'm really excited to hear what you say on this one, is what is your superpower? Creativity.
2: Creativity here for it yeah i'm always thinking outside the bo- i hate the box i was told as a small child that i didn't understand the box that the box um you know i was diagnosed as a very young child at boston children's hospital with adhd and all sorts of other learning complications um and basically um they are my superpower because uh it's my understanding that the that, that all of those things are actually why i don't like boxes Oh. Um, and I live in a world filled with people who like boxes and they see things really different than I do. So um, I think my creativity, you know, is probably my superpower.
1: I feel like we're so connected in ways that who knew? I actually did my child and adolescent psychiatry fellowship at Children's.
2: Uh-huh. Funny.
1: Spent lots of time there. Yep. They made me work very hard. Oh, I'm sure they did. But it's, it's an excellent institution. There are some places I'm like, yeah, that's in my family member here. I'd I, I let them go here. So that's an excellent place to transition into. Do you have any final takeaways for Better Nation?
2: Well, one, I just want to say, Dr. Erica, how amazing it was to talk to you, um, that you as a psychiatrist to take time to have conversations like this. It it makes me so hopeful about the changes in the world and in our country, um, you know, around mental health care. Uh, And I think you're doing absolutely amazing work. And it's just really, really refreshing. Um, And other than that, you know, thank you for giving space to soul exhaustion and soul care. Oh,
1: thank you. And you're welcome. And how can the people find you if you want to be found?
2: Sure. They can find me at sarahgehr.com. If you are super interested in learning more um, and keeping track of the Soul Exhaustion and Soul Care Workbook that hopefully will be coming out soon, um, there's a place on my website to to subscribe to the blog. And just so you know, I basically um, don't write blogs. So you would only get notices of upcoming things. Um, you can also find me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, uh, and I'm on Twitter.
1: And y'all, you can see how to spell her name in the description. It's G A E R, but um, it. it will be spelled down there because it's it's not a name you see all the time. But it's it's super cool. I feel like it's it's one of those names that it should be like some big signature
2: somewhere. Like it just sounds important. I actually think I am currently the only Sarah Gare in the world. I'm not the only one to have existed because my husband's grandmother was Sarah Gare, but I am currently the only Sarah Gare I believe in the world.
1: Well, then I feel very important. Like I need an autograph after after doing this. Um, The first thing I have to say is just thank you, Sarah. You have been phenomenal. I would hang out with you all day if we did not have busy schedules. Um, I'm working on being less busy. Good. And that is the goal for 2024.
2: Time is your most valuable currency.
1: Oh yes, and I. It's we, we're not going to talk about uh, my busyness. I could do a whole episode <laughs> of me processing all of my <laughs> issues with somehow not having work-life integration currently, but aspiring to it, and and grieving the times when I had it. That's a whole. That could be a whole one-hour conversation with myself. <laughs> Well, you know, if you all want to hear that, let me know. I will I will have that conversation out loud so you can hear it. I have it inside my head, but I can have it outside my head so you can, actually, you can actually hear it. I want to say thank you to all of you in Better Nation, all of you that have been with me for a while, all of you that this is your first podcast from the Dr. Erica that you are listening to. I want to say thank you, not only thank you for spending time and trusting myself and Sarah to take up some space and hold space for you, I also want to say thank you and congratulations to you for taking some time out of your day just for you. So you get a big round of applause right here from me that you probably can't hear, but is happening. Just to let you know that I appreciate you and I appreciate that you are taking steps to take care of yourself. My final takeaway, you know, I, I have this like list of quotes that I got from Tarjay. I feel like this this episode is like dropping all the places I shop and all the random things I do with not a single sponsorship from any of them. I need to do better. Um this one, this quote comes from Karen Lamb. A year from now, you will wish you had started today. I feel like um the Lord is speaking to me through the cords. <laughs> but what one, one of the things is it's it's never too early to take care of yourself and one of the reasons it's so important to actually take care of yourself you know we can look at this a couple ways you know yes it's great to start on all these things you need to do that are going to reach these other big goals that are professional but I also want you to take that same type of fortitude and veracity I had a social work teacher that loved that combination of words so I'm going to um Quote him today, Mr. Kirkhoff. And start prioritizing those things that are going to take care of you, that's going to give you that longevity, that's going to give your soul happiness and fulfillment. I want you to think about starting those things today because it's so easy. A lot of us will prioritize our professional things. And then when it comes to eating healthy, working out, spending time with our friends, spending time with family, calling that person we've been meaning to call for a while, setting up our mammograms or your prostate cancer checks or your colonoscopy, your yearly labs or your yearly physical or your yearly or it should be at least twice a year, tooth cleanings, all that stuff gets pushed. So I want you to think about Starting today on those things for yourself, too. Sound like a plan? All right. Well, if you like what you heard, I need you to do me a favor. The first thing, if you like what you heard, please subscribe or follow. I like to drop bonuses. That way you will get them. The next is share. Don't let this podcast be the best kept secret. You can let your Uber driver know, the person at the grocery store, that little cute little old person that greets you at the front of Walmart. Uh, Let everybody know about Better with Dr. Erica. And the last thing is, um, also, can you rate and review? That will help me get even more content for you. But if you do a rating, five stars, please. I'm the Uber driver right now. I am channeling my inner Uber or Lyft driver. And after that, I just want you to take your left hand, put it on your right arm, your right hand, put it on your left arm. Give yourself a squeeze unless you're driving because I'm not responsible for any car accidents. Thank you so much for your time, all your love. It means so much to me. And until next time, have a better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share. And click rate and review. Now don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica.
0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.